Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. Um, it's it's uh, an honor and, and a privilege to be with you guys today. Thank you so much for the gift. Um, you guys are a blessing to me. Um, I, I really I wouldn't want to be doing anything else with my life. I've done other things. Um, they were good. Th- those things were good. Uh, this is the best thing I've ever done is, is uh, being your pastor. And... Um, even the even the toughest stuff that comes with the gig um, is only just joy for me, you know, and it makes my life very rich. Um, and so I want to say thank you uh, to you, and I'm sure Andrew feels the same. I'm sure he has the exact same sentiment. Before we get started, I want to tell you a story. Um, so for a long time now, my middle child, Clementine, has uh, been talking about salvation. She, you know, she said over her older brother knows Christ, and for a long time she's been saying she wants to be saved. Uh, but whenever I would grill her about it, she didn't have any of the answers I needed, right? So we would talk about forgiveness, and she didn't understand forgiveness. And, and you know, we would talk about, um, you know, the, the significance of the death, burial, and resurrection. And, and we'd talk about really things I felt like were basic things, basic necessities of of being able to come to a decision that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven and Jesus is the one to do it, right? And so, you know, she'd struggle with that for a long time and, and so I just kept putting her off because it would be like this, like we'd get ready for bed and every kid wants to talk about stuff before bed because they're trying to stay up, especially Clementine. She's a schemer. And so I'd be like, oh yeah, you want to get saved? Okay, if you want to get saved so bad in the morning, you'll bring it up again. Right? That's how I do it. Like, if you're really serious about, like, if you're concerned about your soul right now, I think you'll still be concerned when you wake up. And uh, when she woke up, you know, it was like, so what are we eating for breakfast? And, you know, uh, she's concerned about which, you know, kitty cat shirt she's going to wear today or whatever. So this, you know, this has gone on since she's been about five. And, and uh, so you guys know that this, this week we had the funeral for Julie Powers. And a lot of you were there, and, and it was a blessing. I mean, it was, uh, it was very uh, honoring to her life. Um, I, I was reminded and even learned just how uh, much she loved Jesus Christ. And, and the gospel, because this is a, a family of believers, the, the gospel was very present in the ceremony. And, and uh, the pastor that did the, the ceremony uh, was in Philippians chapter 1, and, and uh, he was talking about... Um, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain, and, and, you know, it was a long service. Clementine's head was on my lap for most of it, you know, she's just laying there, it's late for her. And uh, at that point in the service, she looks up at me, and she's got tears in her eyes, and she's like, Daddy, I gotta get saved. Well, I'm like, that's good, baby. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it later. You know, I gave her the line, right? Like, we'll talk about it later if you want to talk about it. So we get out to the car, the service is over, and we're in the car, and she goes, Dad, I want to get saved. And she said this thing that just killed me. Uh, She said, I keep keep trying, and it's not working, you know. And uh, 
I knew at that point that it was just the maybe, maybe I had made it too complicated, you know, uh, like there was some sort of magic switch that she had to switch, and the just switch just wasn't working, you know. The device wasn't, like, kicking on, or, or um, and, so, and so she was asking Christ for forgiveness uh, in her little heart, and, and she felt like nothing was happening. So I was like, okay, um, that's not how it works, right? Um, he's done all the work. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to, there's no button to switch. There's no flip. Uh, it's either, either you want Christ and you're willing to give him your life or you're not. And it sounds like you're willing. So when we get home, let's, let's do that. We can, when we get home from the funeral, you know, it's late. We haven't had dinner. Uh, we, can, we can pray together. You can get saved. And she said, no, I want to do it now in the van, and so, uh-huh. so she prayed, and she, she, that night, she asked Christ to be her Savior, so, um, and so she, she, you know, she prays, and she looks up at me, and she's got tears in her eyes, and she goes, um, she goes, I just love Jesus so much, you know, and uh, I was like, yeah, me too, um, and so we're all crying, and we're looking at each other, and like, oh, I don't know, five or six seconds pass, and, uh, and she goes, and now, so since I got saved, can we go to Chick-fil-A for dinner? <laughs> so, that's just, I guess that's just Clementine, I don't think, that's not going anywhere. So we went, we went to Chick-fil-A, and, uh. And everybody rejoiced over that. But I know a lot of you, a lot of you have prayed for her for a long time. And she just, you know, she's an interesting little girl. Um, she's way smarter than me. And, um, and we're just, you know, in many ways we're very much the same. And in other ways we're just like drastically different. So I've already, I've always had a hard time kind of understanding the way she thinks. Um, and, uh, and so I've just been praying like desperately, Lord, I don't know what it looks like for this little girl to get saved. You know, I don't know what it looks like. I, you know, I can't, in my mind's eye, I can't see how she's going to come to the place where she gets it. And your prayers, uh, James just told me that Tuesday, him and Rosie, before the, before the funeral, had been praying. They have a list of, of young children that they're praying for their salvation. And they had been praying for Clementine. And I know a lot of you have been praying for her. And, and so I just wanted to share that with you because it's powerful, I guess. It's, it's really powerful. And we all need to hear testimonies like that. And because your prayers mean so much to me, I figured I should share that. We are going to be with Elijah today, though. Okay? So 1 Kings chapter 18. Everybody be turning there. We've got just this sermon and one more sermon on the life of Elijah. Uh, we're not going to get to cover everything. There's a lot of stuff we're going to leave out. Uh, the second half of his ministry where he's discipling up Elisha. Um, and there's this cool military battle, there's a situation, that I'm just not going to be able to talk about any of that, we're not going to get to that, because we've got to get back to Acts in the new year, we're going to, the two messages I'm, I want to cover though, I think are particularly relevant to the series that we're in on how to be a righteous remnant, and we know at this point, we all know that, that there have been many remnant ages, right, there's been times in which believers are oppressed, and, and they're uh, disregarded and hated uh, at, a, at a level that seems, you know, maybe higher than at other seasons throughout uh, throughout our faith, and, uh, and so I believe that, you know, because we are also maybe entering into the last of the last days, 
that we, are, we could be considered a remnant people, believers that believe that this is truth, is rare and rare and rare. And, uh, and so we, I, I, think, I believe we live in an age that we would often refer to as Laodicea. And for that reason, we're doing this study to look at the lives of people who endured things that we are enduring and, and perhaps we will endure, oppressions that we might face, difficulties we might face, hurdles that we might face, and faith is the only thing that's going to overcome that. And so we're looking at their lives as a way of, of, of being inspired. Um, and so I'm really excited about the next two messages. And uh, I, I, I pray that they're a blessing to you. Now, where we last left off, we were talking about the encounter that Elijah had with the prophets of Baal and, uh, on Mount Carmel. You guys remember that? And uh, the fire came down. He's praying, he's praying to the Lord. He wants God to prove himself uh, as greater than this false god Baal. And the fire comes down and it, and it consumes the bullock. And then, and then they go down to the brook of Kishon and he slays 450 people. Now, at the beginning of the message today, we're going to talk about that. Because I feel like it's fairly significant. Um, the man of God just slaying people all day is a thing that we probably shouldn't just gloss over. We'll look at that a little bit. And then we want to talk about, uh, some more about Elijah's faith. And uh, I'm excited about that part in particular. And so let's pray real quick and ask the Lord be with us. You guys seem a little out of it. Maybe it's the festivities. Maybe it's the, the very kind of somber uh, worship experience that we had today. I don't know. But let's be alive and, and quickened in our mind and our heart. Let's come to the Lord with excitement and, and readiness to be the righteous remnant that we should be. Yeah? Okay? Some amens would be very good for me right now. Yes. Okay, we're all here together. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do need you. And you are so good. And uh, your salvation is so simple. Um, and we do so often complicate it. And, um, and so, Lord, even if there's people here today um, who have for a long time been complicating what it means to have faith, uh, they've been convinced that there's something they're supposed to do. Uh, that there's something they're supposed to say, some sort of magical thing that they're supposed to say or, or some sort of threshold or expectation that they're supposed to meet, Lord, that all of those thoughts are vain in their lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that today that they would be convinced that salvation is simple and that Christ did all the work for us. We need you. We rely on you every day. And, and as, as, as our time grows darker in this world, uh, we need all the more to not be uh, uh, weighed down with temporal, uh, materialistic, and worthless endeavors, uh, the, the things that so easily beset us. Uh, we have to put those things aside to focus on the main thing, and that is the worship and glory of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his name. And so, Lord, let us die doing that. Uh, and I pray that for me, and I pray that very uh, carefully for my friends in this room. Uh, Lord, that, that you would give us the ability, uh, whether we die, um, uh, you know, uh, a peaceful, long life, a, a death uh, that seems uh, fitting and long, everything that we want. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would lay our heads down on that final day, worn out and exhausted for what we've given you. Uh, or if we die uh, premature or we, we die the death of even a martyr, uh, Lord, that it would all be to your glory and that uh, we would know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That we'd live in that knowledge every moment. So help us, help us with that. No light thing, of course, but uh, you can do it in our heart and you can change us. 
We ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So 1 Kings chapter 18. And we are going to talk about judgment. The first point of today's message is reckoning. Everybody needs to reckon. Okay, the word reckon means deal with, uh, to take care of. Now, I want to point something out that's very, very important to you is that we worship a God who deals with stuff. Okay, he's just and he's holy. And because of that, he has no choice but to be judgy. He's judgy. Okay, Uh, he believes in judgment. He believes in uh, judicious action. And so the thing we have to know is that judgment is first and foremost associated with the immutable standard of God's holiness and righteousness. He is absolutely holy, and he is willing, he's not willing to have wickedness in his presence, so, and so he has to deal with it. He has to deal with it. And so when we discuss judgment, what we mean is the just penalty measured against the standard of God's holiness. Okay? It's the just penalty measured against the standard of God's holiness. Okay, now in fact, the first mention of judgment in Scripture, you'll often around here talk us, hear us talking about first mention. Because what you'll see is that in the first mention of a word in Scripture, a lot of times, it will give us a very good working definition of how that word is going to be used throughout the rest of Scripture. And so the first time we see the word judgment in Scripture, we find it in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, And it's found analogous to the word justice. And so judgment is always associated with justice. Now, we all love justice. There's a lot of talk of justice today, right? And I want to point something out to you that's very, very important. There is no justice in this world. We're not going to find it. Donald Trump couldn't find it. Joe Biden won't be able to find it. And nobody can find it. Nobody can find it. There is no justice in this world. We are always just going to live in an unjust world. But I want to tell you something. There's coming a point, there's coming a time in which God is going to set all things right. And he's about that work. He's about that work. He's about justice. And he's about, because he's about justice, he's about judgment. Now, Elijah's encounter on Mount Carmel pictures uh, three different types of justice. Okay? And we're going to look at these three different types of judgment in particular. Um, And we're going to start here in verse 38. Okay, so are you guys following along? Then the, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And if this doesn't make any sense to you because you weren't with us last week, well, the audio is available. You can go back and check that out. But the fire comes down. It consumes the burnt sacrifice. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. So God pours out here his judgment upon the bullock. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that sacrifices are a common thing. Okay, and so just briefly, just a brief history of the sacrifice. The sacrifice has always been intended to be a a very temporal covering for the Old Testament Jews' sins. And so once a year at a minimum, they were required to go and to make sacrifice in the temple so that the sin over the last year would be covered by this sacrifice. It was a picture and it was a shadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ. So the the Old Testament picture, like the one we see here, is intended to, to represent the wrath that Jesus Christ would have to endure on our behalf. 
So for today's believer, our forgiveness comes through the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, the picture, I think, is really good here, though, because the fire comes down from heaven, and it's poured out on the bullock. And what we know about Jesus Christ's sacrifice is that that God the Father himself invited Christ into that sacrifice, and that the sin of the whole world was poured out on Jesus that day. So the judgment that we deserved for our sin, our wickedness, all right, Romans 5.12 says that all of us are sinners, right? That's the thing that's been passed down throughout genetically, throughout uh, history from Adam, from the first sin. And all of that sin, throughout all of history, throughout all mankind, your sin and mine was poured out on Jesus that day. That's a big deal. That's an exceptionally big deal. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Jesus became our sin. He took it upon himself. Who knew no sin? He never deserved this punishment. Which makes, makes the fact that he endured it all the much more powerful. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it's through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the wrath that he bore, the judgment that he bore, that we're invited into a saving relationship with God the Father. John 1.21 says, the next day, this is uh, from the Gospel of John, and speaking of John the Baptist, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So here's the deal. This is the judgment. What we see pictured here in the story is the judgment that actually proves itself out in Jesus Christ. And this is the judgment that spares us judgment. Man. Either this this is very heavy for you, which maybe it is, uh, or you just, just lack excitement. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand the significance of that? The idea that, that Jesus Christ took our judgment, that there was a punishment that we deserved. Okay, so if you think about Mount Carmel, there wasn't a single person that was on the hill that day that didn't deserve for that fire to come down upon them. Do you understand that? That whole entire mountain should have been scorched and left with the, with the bodies of the people that were disobedient to God. And yet, through his grace, and through the prayers of his man, Elijah, that fire came down on that bullock that day. And they were spared the judgment that they deserved. You understand? And the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us. And that leads us to our first key point. The delight of the remnant is the grace of the cross. The delight of the remnant is the grace of the cross. And what I mean by that is that there shouldn't be a single day in our entire lives that we are guilty of forgetting what was done on the cross. It should consume our thoughts. It should consume our mind. It should be the thing that we're constantly pointing to. This is one of the things in the funeral that I was so impressed with when I was hearing about Julie is, you know, I I knew Julie. We we spoke probably 40 or 50 times 
I spent time in their home. I had dinner there. Um, and so I, I knew Julie, but I didn't know her the way that obviously her kids did or people that in, in the family. And, and the thing that everybody kept saying is that she was obsessed with this idea of grace. And whenever there was a conflict or a difficulty in someone's life, that she, that she maybe even in those moments had the counsel to provide people the advice that she would take. But she always just reminded people of the sufficiency of the cross to deal with any of our issues. If it was good enough to take away our sin, then it's good enough to deal with the issues of our life. The delight of the remnant, it ought to be the grace of the cross. And at any point you lose that perspective, then maybe you cease to be the remnant you should be. A.W. Tozer says, grace is God bringing one into favor who was justly in disfavor. We were in disfavor with God. And Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, intervened. We can't ever forget that. The day that we do, we will cease to be effective for his namesake. Now, there's another kind of judgment that we see pictured here. A second kind of judgment that day on Mount Carmel. We find that here, verse 40, And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. So Elijah escorts. So this has been a long day, right? This has been a long day. Okay, so it starts with him meeting Ahab, then the nation of Israel gathering. They all gather on the mount. They spend, the, the false prophets spend till noonday praying, wearing themselves out, praying to a God that's not there. When that's over, Elijah takes his time building an altar to the right God. They build a trench. He cuts the bullock up. They pour water everywhere. The fire comes down. This is a long day, y'all. There's a lot happening here. Okay. And just when you think everything had been taken care of, just when the fire came down and God's judgment was poured out on that bullock and his grace was magnified in that moment, judgment wasn't over. There was another kind of judgment that needed to take place that day. And so the nation of Israel, along with Elijah, marches the false prophets down to the brook of Kishon, and they spend the remainder of their day slaying every last one of them. I mean, it's 2020, you know, people really like horror films. First of all, shame on you. But you're desensitized to like the reality uh, and the significance of the human body, probably. But, but beyond that, uh, we might not fully be able to, I don't know, grasp what's happening here. 450 people are slaughtered by the, by the brook of Kishon by the hand of one single man going to work. Okay, now I want to first of all just tell you that this is a different dispensation. Okay, this is a different time, and God dealt with sin in a very different way. And if you want to learn more about the way that functions, the way that works, first of all, you ought to listen to the PS Plus, because there's a good primer introduction to dispensationalism right now. Thank you, Van. Yeah? 
on, on the postscript, you can listen to Van talking about what dispensations are. But more than that, uh, it's the only way you can really study and understand your Bible. Because if you read things like this, uh, if you don't understand how to break your Bible down and to compare Scripture with Scripture, then things like this become very confusing and overwhelming. And you think to yourself, what kind of God is this? Okay, but God did things different during different times. And God wasn't opposed when he was dealing with the, the nation of Israel and using the nation of Israel. He wasn't opposed to using warfare to deal with sin, particularly as it penetrated his people. As it, when it was coming into the flock of his people, that sin had to be dealt with. Now, we'll come back to that idea, but what I want to point out to you is that there is a form of judgment that's coming that looks like God's wrath poured out on man. There is a judgment that's coming where God deals with people who've refused him. They deal with people who've chosen wickedness, people that have chosen to neglect truth, to shun the message of Jesus Christ, to throw it away. There's a wrath that's coming for those people. There's a judgment that's coming for them. Revelation 20.12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the th uh, those things which were written in the book according to the works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their work. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now I want to I say something to you. There is a place called hell. And it's reserved. It's reserved first and foremost for all of those beings that before time refused God. The angelic hosts that walked away from what they had in God the Father in eternity past, they walked away and so God decided to create a place where he was going to send those angelic beings who shunned him, who chose wickedness. But it is also the place of consequence for every person who chooses to not believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the way out. Who says, says the sacrifice of the cross is, is not sufficient for me. That's, that's, that story is not good for me. Because I've got a way that's right in my own eyes. A way that I want to live. You know, this idea of hell is very unpopular today. It's very unpopular. No one wants to talk about it. And Christians, uh, people that call themselves Christians are refusing the concept of hell, even though it's explicit in Scripture. They're refusing this idea because they want to, to let people live. They're really concerned about being judgmental. They're really concerned about the idea that, that, that people might actually go to a place where they're judged for their sins. They're worried about this. And so that what they've done is they've tried to revise what Scripture says. And look, there's no way around it. There's coming a day where people are going to be cast into hell. They're going to be judged for their sins. And there's a, but the crazy thing is that there's a way out. There's a way out. Just as the bullock was a way out, there's a way out in the person of Jesus Christ. And so for us, as those of us that are believers in this room, there's a very sobering truth that I want to point out to you. Here's our next key point, key point number two. The reality that souls will be lost should haunt God's remnant. 
What do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say that? Is that for those of us who've had our sins dealt with, for those of us that have been set free, for those of us who believe the truth of God's word, just as every day we should not forget the grace of Jesus Christ, every day we should not forget the fact that there will be souls who refuse the grace of Christ and spend eternity in hell, and we should be doing the work of reaching them with the gospel and the message of Christ. It should haunt us. It should bother us. It should disturb us. It should wake us up in the middle of the night. It should cause us, it should cause us at times to maybe even de be depressed. It should be the, the one and only burden of our lives is to get the gospel to people before it's too late. That's it. We should be obsessed with it. We should be strategizing about it. All of our creativity should be poured into the idea that the gospel has to reach these people. Our jobs should surround it. The degrees that we get in school should surround this concept. How do I reach the most amount of people before I lay my head down to die? I know where I'm going. They don't. This is the way the remnant must think. Now, there's another application for this judgment. And we can look at it from an inspirational perspective as well. Here are all of these men that have sowed seeds of wickedness repeatedly into the nation of Israel. They have caused the nation to become blind. Remember what, 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 um, what is said, uh, Elijah says, that how long haul ye between two opinions? They're caught between these two opinions. Either worship God or worship Baal. And these prophets of Baal are the ones that have convinced them to, 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 to be torn. To be duplicitous. To be, to be Laodicean in their perspective. These, these wicked men have done that. And there's only one thing to do. And that's to get rid of them. And that's to get rid of them. And we should too take that very, very seriously. You know the word kishon? It means winding. It means winding. And I think it's really fitting that these men who've taken the straight and narrow path and made it, made it windy, who've conf confused the simplicity of the gospel, who've stolen away grace, who've, who've made the lives of the nation of Israel all the much more complicated, who've made them blind, who've made their lives windy, would be sacrificed at a place called winding. The nation needed to be purged of deception, of evil. This was not an act of cruelty. This was an act of grace on God's people. So very practically, if we want to have liberty to live in Christ, we as believers want liberty to follow Jesus Christ all of our days, then we too have to recognize that there are things that need to be sacrificed in order for us to make a windy path narrow again. You understand? And this is what I mean is that so many of us, our lives are sprinkled with bad friends, with bad places, bad teachings, wicked thoughts, and we make provision for them around every corner. And we tell ourselves over and over again, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. 
It is a big deal. Your purity, the righteousness of the way that you live is dependent on whether or not you're willing to make sacrifices that are hard. Romans 8.12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For ye live after the flesh, or if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The word mortify means kill. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. He's speaking to remnant people here. Pil pilgrims and strangers, let me beseech you today, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You want to know why you keep falling back into old sins? You keep getting distracted? Why you can't focus on the mission? It's because you're unwilling to sacrifice and to kill the thing that God's telling you to kill. What are the things in your life that you need to purge out and deal with? It's time to bring those, it's time to, bring those to the brook of Kishon. Now let's turn our attention back to the story. After Elijah kills 450 men... He turns to the king, who's apparently just standing there watching. Like, that's the only conclusion I can come to, is that he's just standing there like a punk, watching all of his best men get slaughtered. But I mean, it, you know, if this dude calls fire down from heaven, I guess there's not much he can do, right? Like, I mean, you can, so you can imagine the scene here, all right? Elijah, just covered in blood. Right? Like if this dude wasn't a savage before, I mean, this dude is standing there covered in blood. And listen to what he says, okay? Okay, so he finishes the job. And he turns to the king, and Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Dude's lost his freaking mind. I mean, that's, that's the way you think someone would be talking after they just got done killing 450 people. They, you just talk crazy. He turns to King Ahab and he says, Eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. He said there's a sound of rain. He's the only one that could hear it. There's no rain. There's no rain. The air is as stale and as dry as it has been the last three and a half years. There's no evidence of rain. People, people have forgotten what rain sounds like. If they could hear it, they wouldn't even recognize it. It wasn't because, he didn't say this because he, he could actually hear rain, right? He said it because he believed in something that was invisible. To him, he had more than enough evidence to believe that the rain was coming, so much so that he was confident saying, I can hear an abundance of rain. This is a big deal to me, and I want to make sure that you understand it very clearly. Hebrews 11.1, 1. you guys familiar with Hebrews 11? It gets preached a lot. It says, in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Now, here's the beautiful thing. Jump down to verse 7. Let's make this real practical. We know about Noah. We talked about Noah. We talked about his faith, didn't we, at length. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, righteousness which is by faith. Okay, what does that mean? Noah could hear rain, too. hundred years before it rained, he could hear rain. Why? Because his faith in God was all the evidence he needed. It's all the evidence he needed is that God was on his side and that he had promised rain. Do you have the type of faith that believes the promises of God even when others doubt? Even when no one else can see it? You believe. You believe. You have faith. You can hear the rain when no one else can. Now what do you do when you hear rain and others can't? What do you do when you believe God and others won't? What do you do? What do you do? The only thing you can do. Pray. That's what you do, is you pray. God, no one else can hear the rain. You go, you go to the work of praying. Look at verse 42. So Ahab, as wicked men do who aren't repentant, went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He goes back up Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Now I want to draw a contrast here real quick. Between the, this man and the man who mocked the false prophets. You guys remember that, right? The man that, that cried out that fire would come down from the heavens. The man that had the audacity to go down to the brook and slay 450 people. I would say this is a very bold individual. A very fearless person. A very single-minded individual who I would say is probably very, very confident. And yet we see this contrast between him up on, the, on Mount Carmel mocking the prophets to suddenly on his, on his rear end postured like this with his head between his knees, head turned down to the earth, praying. It's a slightly different posture than what we see in Elijah. This is the posture of a broken man. A man that can hear the rain when no one else can hear it. A man who knows that the work is not done yet. And when all else has been done, every work could be done, there's only one thing left to do. And that's to pray. Why? What's the application for us? Why? Because the mission-minded believer is never premature in their celebration. The mission-minded believer is never premature in their celebration. The job's not done because the people haven't repented. The job's not done because the rain hasn't come yet. 
The job's not done. Just because the fire came down and the prophets were dealt with, the job's not done. And this is how we ought to think too. Key point number three. The remnant knows that victory is never declared until God gets his glory. The victory can never be declared until God gets the glory. You know, when I was young, I think I was like 11 years old, when uh, in Super, Super Bowl 27, um, 1993, many of you were just a glimmer in your parents' eye, right? Um, in the Super Bowl, it was like, it was, I think it was the Cowboys and the Bills in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you don't care. Um, and, the, and, the, and the Cowboys were up by like 40 points. Okay, now, there was a player na named Leon Lett who made a fantastic play and uh, recovered a, a fumble, I believe is how it went, and, um, and got open in the open field. He played for the Cowboys. They were way up, okay? And it just looked like a moment of celebration for him, an opportunity to celebrate. And so as he's running into the end zone, big guy, he's holding the football out like this to celebrate, right? And he's bringing the ball behind him like this. And before he gets a chance to cross into the, like, here's the touchdown. This is it right here. Someone chases him down and knocks the ball free and recovers the fumble. And he looks like a complete idiot. Okay? Now, he had two mistakes like that in his career. Two big mess-ups. And he was a pro bowler every year. And this guy was like a stud in terms of football. He was a big deal. And, uh, and the thing that everybody remembers about him is these two mistakes that he made because he celebrated prematurely and he didn't have a perspective on what was actually happening on the field. And the same thing could be true for us. You know, we get distracted. We see victories in our faith. We see moments of celebration in our ministry. And we thank God for those moments. And then in those moments, we forget the fact that we're still just surrounded with lost people. And that there's still a lot of work to be done until God gets his glory. And so, you know, a lot of us, we, we like, we live in a world of entertainment. And we so easily find ourselves wanting to celebrate. I mean, uh, we're just... We just want happiness, right? We just want happiness. And happiness looks like celebrating. Um, but you know, a guy like Elijah, uh, he was very, um, he wasn't very liberal with his celebration. In fact, I, I don't want to see him doing it. He's a man of burden. He's a man of sorrow. Much like our Savior Jesus Christ. I don't think God is opposed to laughter and celebration, but my point is, is that these are people who never lost sight of what they were supposed to do. And we ought not either. Because until the last trump cries out for us and we meet Christ in the air, the work's not done. I need, I need, I need some amens there. Because I have to know that Kaya's perspective, that this ministry's perspective is, we're going to work, and we're going to work, and we're going to work for the man. And we're going to believe. And we're going to be full of faith. And we're going to wear ourselves out because there's still people to be won. Because God's name is not glorified in all the earth, and I still have breath in me. Until these lungs are empty of the last breath, then there's things to do. And as long as there's lost people on this planet, we've got we've to do the work. Elijah took nothing for granted. If God had promised rain, he knew that prayer for rain was still warranted. 
think a lot of us, we think, oh, well, God's got it. And we neglect prayer. That's so wicked. Oh, God's will be done. He's got it. And then we neglect prayer. But Elijah doesn't do that. Elijah knows there's rain coming. He can hear it. He's sure of it. And yet he still prays for rain. What's that about? Because we need to pray for God's speed. We need to pray for God's mercy. We need to pray for God's sufficiency. Pray for God's reception by the people. Prayer for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the objective. So rain or shine, drought or abundance, that's what we have to focus on is that kind of prayer. So listen, it says, And, and said to his servant, verse 33, 43, And said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And this leads us to our key point number four. The righteous remnant is nothing if not persistent. The righteous remnant is nothing if not persistent. And I mean that. I mean that. Persistent in all spiritual disciplines. In this context, prayer. Elijah was going to pray and pray and pray. And his disciple was going to go up and down, back and forth seven times until, until they saw the evidence that rain was coming. They were about that work. And we ought to be too. For those of you who don't come and participate on Tuesday night prayer, you're missing one of the coolest things that we do as a ministry. It's posture ourselves, broken before the Lord, dependent on Him, and ask Him for things that only He can do. That's our work. Ian Bounds says, persistent, uh, this is for you, Seth. Seth is like obsessed with Ian Bounds right now. Um, persistence cultivates the belief that prayer will be answered. It cultivates belief in us. So you pray and you pray and you pray because sometimes you don't believe. God, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. It's such a great statement, isn't it? I believe. I think my belief is like this. So help my lack of belief make up this difference. I'm going to persist in prayer until the things that I don't believe you for, I do believe you for. And those things consume my thoughts. Listen to this other part. He says, love of ease, spiritual laziness, and religious indifference all operate against this type of petitioning. So the other point is, is that if you want to be lazy, well, stop being persistent. We got enough, I'm telling you, we got enough laziness. Let's not pat ourselves on, our, on the back as a ministry, please. We've got our laziness, all of us. We've got it. And we ought to petition the Lord until it's been dried up and it dissipates. And all that's left is the abundance of water. Because we believe. And it came to pass, at the seventh time, he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud of, out of the sea, like a man's hand. Guys, I wish I could share with you everything I've studied from this. This cloud in the distance, this little gray cloud that looks like a hand, you know, but waving to the people. Just study hands in Scripture. Just study hands. It's a good study. It's hand, right? Anybody ever as a kid look at the clouds and say, that looks like, you know, 
right? There's this cloud, and it, and it looks like a hand. And that cloud is going to grow, and it's going to cast a shadow on the earth. And that hand is the hand of grace. The hand of mercy on a people who don't deserve it. God, forgive us. And he said, go up. Say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. In other words, you better get home before that, the flood rises up and you can't get back to the palace. Okay, but it's so funny. So he tells his, uh, his disciple to go express that to Ahab. But then listen, and it came to pass, in the meanwhile, that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord, there's the hand again, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Okay, so this dude is freaking crazy. I can't explain this. So he, he girds up his loins, okay, which means he ties up his dress. Because boys wore dresses back then. I don't, know, I don't know what to tell you about that, but that's how they dressed. So he takes his long gown and he binds it up around his waist. And he runs in the rain and he chases down a chariot in the rain. To simply stop Ahab in his tracks. And, and then we don't know what he says. He just chases him down. Like I just imagine he runs down this chariot in the middle of the rain. And just stands there and goes. <laughs> like take that. There it is. Like, like the thing that I heard was true. And you need to look me in the eyes and tell me that you don't see it. I mean, maybe that's how we ought to be confronting the lost as well, huh? Tell me you don't see it now. Remember last week we talked about letting God prove himself. Well, God proved himself. And we ought not be afraid to go to our lost friends and say, see how God proved himself? Y'all, the remnant, the righteous remnant, these are crazy people. Th these are people that are just different. They're built different. Their faith is different. We ought to long for it. We ought to long for it. Today we're going we're gonna to go ahead and go into prayer. And I'm going to have Seth come up and the worship team come up. Here's the question on the floor. The first thing is, you know, as we talked about judgments, I'd like to believe that there was a handful of people in the room who, who have maybe never dealt with the issue of salvation in their life. And they've never looked to Jesus Christ to deliver them or save them from the judgment they deserve. And perhaps today is the day that you make the decision that my seven-year-old daughter made. Just this week, that same decision, you need to make that decision. You're never too old to make that decision. And as long as you have breath, there's still hope for you. There's opportunity. Don't throw away today. This is your chance to be saved. This is your chance to know Christ. And so I want to invite you. There's going to be counselors up here. They're going to be standing between these pillars like, you know, Like, uh, you know, giants, giants of the faith, you know, standing up here, okay? And you're going to come down here, and you're going you're gonna to pray with them. 
And you're going to ask them, like, what does it mean to be saved? Don't be afraid to come down here and ask those questions. Right? And perhaps that you're a believer and you recognize that there, there's judgment that you need to enact on your own life. There's things that need to be purged out. There's things that need to be cut away. You need to slay the wicked things in your life because you've been holding on to them way too long and you've been making excuses for them. And it's going to hold you back in terms of your faith. It's time to deal with it. But then lastly, there's some of us that our belief is small. Our belief is small. And we struggle to know that God wants to use us. That he wants to be glorified in our lives. That he wants to use us to reach the lost. That there's lost people all around us. He wants to use us to reach them. We've got to start believing God for more than just, you know, the dumb crap, I guess. We've got to believe God for more. And that's got to be souls. That's got to be souls. Because the victory's not won. I mean, it's, it's been won at the cross, but the trump hasn't come. There's still work to be done. And some of us need to consecrate ourselves to that work. So let me pray for you. And if there's something that you need to deal with, come forward. Let's deal with it. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word. And I thank you for my friends in this room. Uh, there's people here that I've known for a really long time. And there's people here that I don't know at all. I never met them before. And Lord, despite that gamut, that spectrum of people, people uh, from every walk of life, from every background, Lord, you're working on their hearts. I believe that. That's why we came here today, is that you would work on our hearts. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would have your way. Lord, people would have the, the strength and the faith to say, I need, there, there needs to be a change in my life right now. I need God's grace. And that they'd be willing to stand up and come forward and meet with someone and talk about their sin. To talk about what's been missing. To talk about their faith. To talk about their neglect of souls. To talk about whatever it is that's eating at them. Lord, that they would be willing to do that and to deal with that today. Lord, we need you. Your grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. And Lord, you died a death to save us from every woe and every evil and every wickedness and bring peace and liberty into our lives. We ask for your help to do, to do that afresh today. Help us, God. We love you. We adore you. You're our friend. You're our hero. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.